0: Well, uh, I've said it before, but one of our family's obsessions is uh, Marvel superheroes and uh, all of the movies and the shows, and we've watched them all. and And I know some people like they tend to like as they go through life, they think in terms of like you know quotes from their favorite books, or quotes from their favorite shows, or quotes from their favorite movies. And and one of those ways that I think about life is through the Avengers and through superheroes. And so as we thought about control, I couldn't help but think about a line from uh, one of the uh, one of the Avengers movies. Um and so this is, you know, after The Avengers, after Thor and Hulk and and Captain America and Iron Man had had saved the world several times, uh they came together and there was debate over whether they were Doing more harm than good. That in the process of saving the world, they had just destroyed cities and, and wiped out all of these areas. And, and they were really being asked and questioned are we doing more harm than good? And so, in, in a movie called Captain America's Civil War, uh, Captain America uh, is, is confronted with this. And, and the line he uses is fascinating. He says, The safest hands are still our own, the safest hands are still our our own. That even though all this destruction has been wrought, the safest hands are still our own. And, and I thought about it because that's what control says. Control says the safest hands are my own. God, you can have all the big cosmic stuff. You can have the eternal stuff, my soul. But when it comes to the day-to-day stuff of my life, the safest hands are my own. And if we're honest, how many of us view our relationship with God that way? God's got that other stuff, but when it comes to our daily lives, we are the ones holding the wheel, that we are the ones with the safest hands. Control says, I trust me first. Sharon Hottie Miller, who wrote the book, The Cost of Control, we're looking at. And and if you uh, didn't get a copy at Christmas, there are copies out in the great room. Please grab one after the service. But she says, uh, control is the power to influence the world and us and the sense of empowerment that gives us. Right, Control is not evil. She says in the book, control is not all bad. Like I took a flight last week. I was glad someone was in control of that Delta flight. Control is not all bad, but, but the, the thing that she says that's important is the sense of empowerment it gives us. That control often looks like us taking the reins of power in our lives. In fact, last week, uh, Pastor Melissa Shazer kicked off our series looking at what control is, and she said that uh, what we see in the Bible is that control is us taking the reins of power from God, believing that that the, the reins of power are better are better in our hands, that we have more to offer our lives if we're in control than God would if God had the power and the control in our lives. And so... Uh, next week, Sharon Holly Miller, the author, is going to be here with us. And, and you may not know who she is, but she is incredibly dynamic. You don't want to miss her being here. She's going to be awesome. Bring a friend, bring family uh, to see her, uh, to hear her preach the word to us. So last week, we looked at what control is. Next week, she's going to come and show us and talk with us about uh, the, the difference Jesus uh, offers us another path of uh, other than control for our lives. Uh, today, what I wanna do before she gets to that is I wanna look at the shape of control, what control looks like in our lives, and also what it costs us. I think what we'll see is that control will be a burden. It is a burden on our lives, but it, it doesn't get the final word. It will not get the final word, that that not all control is bad, but in the end, control will try to control you. And in the book of Genesis, what we see is that control always comes at a cost. So uh, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter three. There are a few Bibles in front of you if you don't have one or look them up on your phones, but Genesis chapter three. And, and as a reminder, we, we look at the Bible together because the words of God in scripture We'll, we'll stick with you way longer than anything clever I can say or anything that we get out of a book, that the words of Scripture have power. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 together. Um, I'll set it up. Last week, uh, we looked at Genesis 3, 1 through 6, and we saw the story of, of Adam and Eve, the first humans in the garden with God, and then they're, they're there. And a snake comes to them and offers them a lie or a deception and and tells them uh, that they should do what God had told them not to do. Uh, And they were deceived and they ate from the fruit of a tree that God had said, do not eat from this tree. And so they ate from the the tree and then let's pick up verse 7. So after they ate from the tree, it says, then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so so God had made a regular practice of daily coming to them and walking with them. They had a daily ongoing commune with God. And so this wasn't a first time that God had done this. This was an everyday thing, but this was the first time something else happened. The first time that they hid from the Lord God Among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Not because God did not know where they were, but because God wanted him to acknowledge it. He answered, verse 10 I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman, (laughs) the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. I didn't touch it. She gave it to me and I ate it. It reminds me, I saw this uh, this past week, uh, Adam, (laughs) when God asked who ate the apple, (laughs) somebody else. And then the Lord God said to the woman, said to Eve, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent did it. The snake did it. The snake deceived me and I ate. So let's stop right there. The serpent convinced them that they wanted control, that they needed control, that it would benefit their lives to have the power that was only God's to have. And they got it. And here's what it looked like. Verse 10, they were naked and they were afraid. That's what control looked like. They were naked and they were afraid. And that doesn't just mean that they realized that they had parts of their body that needed to be covered. It meant that they realized that they were insecure and vulnerable and weak and insufficient. And it made them afraid. Because God had given them a good life. Remember, they were walking in the garden every day in an ongoing relationship with God, how they were made, that God had given them a good life. And they wanted to see if they could get to a better one on their own. And they realized really quickly, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, we've made a mistake And look, this sets the tone for all of humans, for all of humans on down through history that we're constantly trying to overcome our insecurities and our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses and our fears. It's central to the story of who we are. And it's central to why we grasp for control, that that we grasp for all the little ways that we can manipulate and grab power and control so that we can try in our own strength to overcome our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses and our insecurities by what we can do, by what we can control. I'm curious, what does that look like in your life? What does control look like? How are you trying to control your way into a good life, what does it look like for you? In The Cost of Control, uh, she talks about several different things. Again, I highly encourage you. It's a great book. Pick it up. She lists several things like knowledge and information, that we try to control our lives through knowing everything and having all the information. We try to control our lives through power, through power, through positional or institutional or uh, organizational authority or, or trying to put others in their place. We, we try to control our lives through money. We try to control our lives through autonomy and individualism, not be encumbered by community and relationships with others. We, some of us try to control our lives through theology if we just can, can learn the right things about God or say the right things about God, then, then he'll do for us what we want. We can control, we can convince God we know and do all the right things so God will bless us in return. Some of us try to control our lives through shame, through accusing ourselves or others and staying in this cycle of haven't done enough and in an odd way that's comforting. I, I am in control because I've acknowledged my shame, acknowledged the shame of others. Some of us, we try to control our lives through technology or social media, that we can, we can control our lives by avoiding the things that we don't like, sort of avoiding reality or, or controlling the image of ourselves before others or, or we try to control our, the flow of things that we see and read and, and so that we, it just reinforces what we already believe and doesn't challenge us. Control looks like trying to get to a good life by our own power, using something or someone. I'll give you an example from my own life. And, and this is probably appropriate given, given the time of year and New Year's resolutions and all these things. But, but several times in my life, um, I have, uh, I have, I've used an app on my phone to track calories that I ate. So I don't know if any of you had done this before, you've ever used like an app or a notebook to track calories. And so, you know, I would, I would just do everything, whether you have breakfast, uh, lunch, dinner, snacks, everything. If I ate it, it had to go into the app. I had to figure out how to calculate it. Um, and, and, it and it worked. It worked. I, I, uh, I've lost weight that way. And, and, and it's not a bad thing. It's not bad to count calories. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's actually really eye-opening. Spend a couple of weeks counting everything you eat and you realize like, oh, okay, like that changes things, right? So it's, it can be helpful. It's not inherently a bad thing to count calories that way. It's a little thing. It's a little thing that I did sometimes, maybe maybe three times in the last decade, right? So maybe for a month or two months or six months, I would do it for different lengths. Um, and here's the thing. It, it worked, it was effective, and it was something small that I could control. Not a bad thing. But when control produces the results that we want we want more of it when control produces the results that we want it leads us to want more control so we can compromise and make excuses for all the little ways that we try to gain control in our lives but then when it leads us to what we want we just want more of it and over time we end up trusting ourselves more than we trust God how are you trying to control your way into a good life? What does control look like for you? And what's it costing you? What's that control costing you? Here's what we see in the garden. In the garden, we see several things, right? So we see in the garden that Control immediately leads to blaming and shaming others. That in order to to overcome and cover up our insufficiencies and our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities, that we like to blame others. We like to put the fault on someone else. But we also see that it leads to broken relationships. In the garden, the next thing that happens is God gives them Adam and Eve and the serpent. He gives them all sort of curses for what they've done. And he tells, he tells the man and the woman that they will be at strife, that they will not get along. They will butt heads over what has happened. That, that control inevitably leads us to divisiveness in relationships with others it leads to broken relationships another thing that he tells them is that control leads to nothing will work as it's supposed to that the garden God had given them was productive it was it was fertile it 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 bursts forth every kind of fruit and plant. But then when they're cast out from Eden, they're told the ground will be hard. It will be hard to work. You will sweat and toil. Things will be harder than they have to be. Isn't that the world we live in? Things seem harder than they should be. And then the other thing that happens is they're banished from paradise. God goes with them, which is good news, but they're banished from paradise. And I think we spend our lives, control means we spend our lives trying to chase paradise. We spend our lives trying to chase something that's better, something that's more fulfilling, something that's more satisfying, something that's easier. We spend our lives chasing paradise. That's what control gets us. And so the deception that Adam and Eve believe here in the garden in in our story is the same one that we believe today, that I need more. I need more than what God can give me. I need more than what God has done for me, that I can control my way to something that's even better than God. And if we're completely honest, it's not working for us. Here are the words of Sharon Hottie Miller again. She says, to declare that God is sovereign, that God is powerful, that He's capable of control of our lives in the world is not just a theological statement. It is good news for a weary world. God alone has an infinite capacity to know all things, to manage all things, and to heal all things. When we try to stand in His place by controlling our circumstances, we cast off that protection, trading it in for anxiety and exhaustion instead. She's saying that rather than let God be God, we try to take that burden upon ourselves and it's crushing us. We find really quickly, we're not up to the task. What is control costing you? Again, in her book, she has a powerful list of what control costs She says, broken relationships See, see if you identify with any of these broken relationships, burnout, body shame, anxiety, exhaustion. Control offers us control of a good life, but it always requires more. It always asks more of us. It always requires us to keep going and keep growing in our control. A little bit of control leads to more control. So, I told you a second ago that I was uh, that I've counted calories uh, several times. But here's what I found: I found that it worked. I lost weight. I found that it made me joyless. (laughs) Because I don't know if you've ever gone to dinner with somebody who's putting everything they eat into an app. Well, it's not fun. I don't know if you've ever, like, been to a party and you're counting your calories and you're like, I don't know what that little tiny, like, square thing that has, like, peanut butter and chocolate and toffee. Like, I don't know why that counts. Can I eat it? I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had to, like, wake up for breakfast and you're like, okay, well, I can have, like, a cup of, like, frosted mini-wheats and a third of a cup of milk. And you're, like, measuring your food at breakfast in the morning. Right? It works but it requires more and more and more. And over time, it made me anxious, it made me joyless. It made me focus on the wrong things and it made me not be able to be present. I couldn't be out at lunch without thinking about like, well, that sandwich probably has more calories than that sandwich. Which one, which one do I choose? What did I do this morning? I mean, like it's exhausting to be in control. It's exhausting and it's joyless to try to be God in our own lives. Where is control ruining your life? What is control costing your marriage? What is control costing your parenting? What's it costing your relationship with your kids or with your parents or your grandparents? What's control costing you at work? What's it costing your friendships and your relationships? Control will be a burden. But it does not get the final word. The good news is it costs us, but it will not get the final word. That, That we are carrying a burden that we were never meant to carry. But the good news is that Christ carries a burden that he does not have to, so that he can set us free from the plague of control in our lives. That we even see a glimpse, we even see a glimpse in the story in the garden that control doesn't get the final word. Listen to these words in verse 15. This is God talking to the snake. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, hers being Jesus. He, Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit esoteric language, but just hang in there. It's kind of like this Old Testament poetic way of saying that, that it will cost you. Jesus has his heel struck, right? Like Jesus is he he is he is caught up in the violence. He he does not escape it. He takes on the cross in his death for us, but it does not get the final word. He will strike your he, he will strike his heel and he will crush your head. It's a poetic way of saying the snake will not get the final word that we may feel condemned to bear the burden of control, but there's one who comes along. His name is Jesus and he says, I've got this. And so our hope is not to be better at holding control. Our hope is not to get more control, our hope is in a life with the one who shows us that God is fully in control and that he is capable and that he is good and he is a provider. Jesus invites us into a reality where God has control. And so I wanna challenge you, when you think about your upcoming week, what's one area of your life, one relationship, one conversation where you need to say, Christ is in control so I don't have to be. Maybe for you, it's in your marriage. Maybe you have an appointment coming up this week or a meeting, a hard conversation, you know. Maybe it's in a relationship with a friend or uh, something on a team or at school. But, But where do you need to say, hey, gosh, Christ is in control. It's okay, I don't have to be. Maybe write that phrase down. Christ is in control, so I don't have to be. I'm gonna close with a story or confession and a quote. So my confession is this. Last Sunday, I was sitting right over here where I normally sit and, uh, and I did not do anything in worship. I wasn't, I wasn't preaching. I wasn't praying. I wasn't giving announcements. No one lets me sing. Um, and, and, uh, and I was just there. And I realized the hardest Sundays for me are the ones where I'm not doing anything. When I'm not in control and look, here's the thing. I trust our team implicitly. Our team is incredibly gifted and talented. They all know how to do their jobs. They're all prepared, usually more prepared than I am. They do a great job. But I found myself going, <laughs> I, I couldn't worship. I couldn't be present And on the Sunday where I had nothing to do, where it should have been most possible for me to like worship God and be present as a worshiper, not as a a staff member, a pastor, a preacher, I couldn't do it. I felt like, oh, I'm not in control. Is everything gonna be okay? Are we gonna get through this worship service? Control cost me my ability to be present with Jesus in worship. What's it costing you? And what would the difference be if you were able to say, Christ is in control, I don't have to be. Longtime USC philosopher and professor, Dallas Willard, who's also a well-known Christian writer, Dallas Willard said this, we dwell and abide with God in the fullness of his life, a life in which all the promises of Christ's gospel are realized. Because of this, we have no reason to be anxious. The world is a perfectly safe place for us to be. The world is a perfectly safe place for us to be because Jesus is in control, not us. He's in control, not us. He's in control. Let's trust him. Amen. Would you pray with me? Holy God, I pray that even now you'd be breaking down all the ways that we cling to control, uh, that we try to play God, that we try to take the power upon ourselves. Help us to submit those to you starting this morning, that today would be just a day on the journey of learning to trust you, of transferring trust from the kingdom of myself to the kingdom of God. Help us to do that. Let us submit our lives to you. God, we love you and praise you. Thank you for Jesus who sets us free from the curse of control, from the need to be our own saviors. Help us to trust in him. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.